In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Today we are celebrating Christ the King Sunday. This is the last Sunday of the liturgical year before we begin the new year with the first Sunday of Advent next week. And while the name of this feast might have an ancient ring to it, it was actually only instituted in 1925 by Pope Pius XI, very much as a response to modernity. Pius was, uh, was being a bit of, re- of a reactionary in the face of the rise of democracies and nationalisms and communism. It seems that, that Pius wanted to plant the flag of Christ firmly in the ground and with it make a claim for the church. And so the ecumenical movement that rose throughout the 20th century and Christians of different denominations, as they tried to remove barriers of unity, many Protestant churches adopted this feast day as well, including our own Episcopal Church, which is why we remember it today. And so the Christ the King Sunday invites us to commemorate Christ's messianic kingship and sovereign rule over all of creation. Jesus is king both now, though clearly in a very veiled way, and we proclaim will be king more fully in the age to come. But let's admit that this image of Jesus as king is not without problems. And indeed, what does it say, what does it mean to speak of Jesus Christ as king? Especially in a time such as ours where we see the rise of of Christian nationalism and its idolatrous and distorting effect on the gospel. This image of Christ bears with it a huge potential for abuse and misappropriation. If we're going to follow Jesus as king, then we must be sure that we do so in a way that is faithful to the gospel, faithful to the one that we claim as king. And as such, we'll need some clarity, right? Because when we think of kings, we imagine them as having might and coercive strength. Kings raise armies. And they use armies to impose order in their own realms and and then to fight with other kingdoms. Kings are not shy about using violence to achieve their ends. They will subjugate and terrorize all in the name of maximizing their own glory and strength. And even just and righteous kings will not be shy about using force to achieve their ends. A king's ability to use force, that ability is is part of the deal that comes with being a monarch, right? The capacity to use force and power are what make them kings. But of course, it's ridiculous to speak of Jesus as a king in this way. 
as the gospel makes clear again and again, Jesus has no desire to use force to achieve his ends. When his hour comes, Jesus is easily arrested, surrenders without even a skirmish, and faces the ridicule of his captors without them fearing for even a moment that there might be some sort of reprisal for their acts against him. Jesus is sentenced to be executed in a manner that is reserved for slaves and revolutionaries and bandits. If a noble person was sentenced to death, they were allowed to quietly drink poison and die in the privacy of their homes. But not Jesus. Jesus is crucified in public in a way meant to humiliate him and terrorize others. Jesus is weak and vulnerable. Jesus is not a monarch or king in any conventional sense of those words, since his kingship is not secured by force. And so we might ask, what use is this king? I wonder if amidst their ridicule, whether some of the people who are mocking Jesus from the foot of the cross might actually hope that he will save himself. I wonder if some are hoping that God will deliver Jesus from his distress, that, that some might hope that Jesus might be able to spare himself from pain and humiliation. Do some hope that he will be immune to the suffering and transcend it? Luke says that the first criminal is deriding Jesus, but I wonder, I wonder if there isn't a little bit of hope in his voice when he says, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And yet, the irony, the irony is that Jesus is doing just that. Jesus is saving them. In fact, the level of irony in this passage is incredibly thick. The people standing by, the soldiers, and even the sign above Jesus' head proclaim him as king and Messiah. They tell him to save himself. But the truth is, is that Jesus will not save himself without them. They use their power to execute Jesus and to mock him as he dies, but Jesus uses his power to forgive and to offer hope to those who will listen. Jesus uses his power and freedom to surrender himself to his enemies and to face humiliation and death in order to reconcile all things to God and to make peace through the blood of his cross. And yet this reality is, is totally obscured and hidden from almost all of those who were there that day. Only that second criminal can risk hoping that Jesus' crucifixion, which looks like utter defeat, is in fact victory and triumph. And so if we're to understand Jesus as king, 
then we must begin there, at the foot of the cross. Unlike the world, we are to serve the crucified one. Serve him and all those who are suffering. Serve him and all those who are marginalized and oppressed. All those who Jesus associates himself with, the hungry, the naked, the prisoner. If we are to serve the crucified one, then we are to be set apart to bear witness to a different way of living than the way that is embraced by the kings of this world. Just as Christ's power lay in his rejection of violence in the name of self-giving love, so too does ours. And so too we are called to be deeply skeptical about claims for the need for violence. We must be skeptical of a social order secured through coercion and incarceration and not through justice. We must always be ready to call our society to care for those who are most vulnerable and exposed and left unprotected by the powers that be. We must always work 
for a society that upholds and celebrates the dignity of every human being. For indeed, the church has been inaugurated in the light of God's gift of love in Jesus Christ to do just that. We are the community that is meant to be a sign to the world that light triumphs over dark and love triumphs over hate. We are the community that is called by God to bear witness to the abundance of creation and not the scarcity imposed upon us by injustice and greed. We are the community that is called to reach out in compassion to those who seem most disposable to the powers of this world. We are meant to offer hope to those who, have, who, have, who are sunk into the mire of despair. We're meant to offer the promise of forgiveness over guilt. We're meant to offer a word of life to those who struggle under the bondage of the power of death. Now surely, the church is not perfect. And much of what passes as Christianity these days is reactionary and fearful. And even if we truly to follow, look to follow the crucified Lord, we will inevitably fail again and again to live into that call. Indeed, the church always lives under God's judgment and always stands in need of repentance and reform. And yet, and yet by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the church, and even we here in this place, must always be striving to live into our call, to bear witness to God's unfathomable love made known in Jesus Christ. For in Christ, God restores all things. And in serving this king, God sets us free. Amen.